We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm here with my guy, Kyle, bringing him back again. And to say by popular demand is an understatement, Kyle. We had a lot of people, certainly more than I would have expected, for a 73-minute video about comp picks and the strategies. We had so many people talk and just say, hey, bring this guy back. This guy is awesome. This content is amazing. Thank you for this. So, yeah, definitely had to bring you back, man. First of all, how are you doing? And second of all, what was that like just seeing 5,500 people and 100 comments or whatever just give you so much praise for it such an awesome presentation oh man it was awesome and i think you probably have to discount three of the comments because i believe one was my mom my dad and one of my best (laughs) friends uh i definitely sent it around because i was really excited but it was a pleasure being on here i know a lot of people were very complimentary of the presentation but i got to give it up to you tyler you made it a very approachable you know experience as i said I've never done this before. So this is very <laughs> new territory for me, uncharted yeah. waters, but it's been a blast. And like I said before, I'm, I'm happy to be here and definitely looking forward to continuing to do this more together. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm also looking forward to it. And certainly we're all looking forward to the draft. There's been so much buzz lately. And I, I, part of it feels like Chargers fans fear of missing out because you know I think Daniel Jeremiah or some of these draft pundits are saying, there's about 15 good first round talent, first round graded guys. And then a lot of guys after that, there's a, a bunch of them, but a lot of them are those second round grade talents. Unfortunately, if there's 15 first round grade talents and you're picking at 17, that means you're possibly going to just miss out on a player. So Chargers fans really want to move up for potentially a Charles Cross, a Derek Stingley. That's the big one these days. Even a Jamison Williams, You know, who knows? There are plenty of players the Chargers fans really, really want. So you have a presentation today that really tackles that. I can't wait to see what it is. Kyle, take it away. All right. So we're going to take a look at the... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that, Tyler. That was my bad, guys. That was my bad. <laughs> we're going to take a look at the Jimmy Johnson chart because even though this is a chart that was made about 30 years ago and there are more, re- re- more recent charts out today mm-hmm. that are a little more analytically driven for performance and have been proven to be a little more accurate in how they end up playing out down the road. This is still the way teams are trading. Some reporters or pundits will say that they that some teams have 
three charts out in front of them, or maybe two. The Rich Hill one is another one that some have out in front of them. But if you look back at the trades and evaluate them after they've been made, they still seem to follow very closely the Jimmy Johnson valuation charts. So that's what we're going to focus on today, not because I think it's the most accurate or the best to use, but because it's the industry standard and what they're doing. And as we look at this, we're going to analyze it in kind of a different way to see how we can expect certain trades to play out for the Chargers if they were to make it, like you said, for mm. a cross or a stingling. So first, as you were asking, Charger fans, cross or stingley is on the board at pick 10. He's fallen a little bit. Should we trade up? I know a lot of fans right now think our roster's locked and loaded and ready for a, I, I don't know if this is something you guys have to do on the podcast, Tyler, but I know on like the forums we chat on, it's always a joke that you're not supposed to say the superb owl. So we always type <laughs> out superb owl because there's supposedly a copyright infringement issue anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't I, know that. That's I I haven't really researched it, but it's like a long going joke that that's what we call it, so we avoid any potential legalities. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, ready for a superb owl run in 2022 with only a couple roster spots needing to be addressed to fulfill the destiny of finally winning or at least getting back there. Mm -hmm. So, as such, is it worth? the draft capital that it would spend to make that move. And Tyler, you've already told me you're, you're not as keen on this one or how do you feel about it? Sir, potentially if I, if they had their second round pick, there's a chance that I wouldn't mind them trading up to 13 maybe, but I'm usually not a fan of it. And I think Arjun and his analytics certainly rub off on me and where I, I just am not particularly for it unless it's for a quarterback. They have a quarterback. Therefore, I'm not moving, and I'm definitely not moving without a second-round pick. Or I should say I'm not moving up. I'd love to trade down, but I wouldn't move up. Trading down would be wonderful. Yeah. I, I personally am scared a little bit because we just have a habit of doing it in the past. Now, granted, we've <laughs> never not had a second-rounder while we've been in this position. Mm -hmm. But we also have extra draft capital, so I don't know. I just personally... I'm a little concerned that that might be something that happens. I mm. just really hope it doesn't. And again, it's just just from being a little disappointed in the past, but I'm recovering. <laughs> I'll get over it eventually. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we had been able to, or the Chargers have been able to give up a, a fourth round pick or whatever it was before. And that's not like a huge pick or anything. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of Chargers fans think we can pile these compensatory picks together, but those ones in the seventh round, they're worth one point. I think the sixth rounder is worth two three points or whatever it is like yeah you i guess could move up one spot in the sixth round with those comp picks but there really isn't enough there so i know fans are like yeah we could just use those but it's it's not really going to happen it's going to take significant capital to move up yeah and the interesting thing tyler it's a great segue with you mentioning packaging all of those late round picks mm -hmm. we'll get into this a little bit more later but those are where by far the greatest value is so we definitely mm -hmm. don't want to part with those for how little they amount to in draft capital. Exactly. For what their return could be. So how draft trades are made. As we discussed, the Jimmy Johnson chart has been the gold standard for these trades. It was started in 1991 when, and believe it or not, this is my favorite little factoid from doing this research. Uh, it was not made by Jimmy Johnson. 
it was made by Mike McCoy, and that's not the visor-clad warrior that used to be <laughs> I was on our say. <laughs> sideline. It was minority owner of the Cowboys, Mike McCoy, who was a very analytically driven individual. His idea was to assign a point value based on every pick to try to figure out how they could properly maneuver around the draft. It wasn't just to trade down. It was to really move all over the place, trade mm. down and move back up. And it, it really became a necessity for them because of the Herschel Walker trade. At the time, they had an insane amount of picks. I believe in 91, they had an extra first and second from Minnesota. And I don't know, that was just from the trade that I saw, but I don't know if they had other trades as well that they had made or ways of acquiring additional capital. But they had all this extra capital as it was. So this was of added importance to them. And Jones himself credited, I mean, granted, it's coming from Jerry Jones. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But he believes that this chart gave the Cowboys about a five-year competitive advantage in their trading. But as people like North Turner and others, coordinators left, they took the chart with them. And that's how it got spread around the league. But what's wrong with the chart? And this is what I found really interesting. And I learned this just a couple of days ago doing this research. I'll read it for the fans that are listening. But for two days, this is a quote from the Dallas Morning News. It was a republished article from 2004. And Todd Archer wrote, for two days, McCoy analyzed trades from the previous four years and assigned a point value to each pick. And the chart was born. The more I played with it, the more obvious it became that it was a real definite trend, McCoy said. You were able to plot on a graph that showed historically the trades value that trades valued certain draft picks certain ways. And from that graph, I made up a chart that assigned a numerical value to every single draft pick from the first in the first round to the last in the last round. So Tyler, when you hear that, what do you think is wrong with the Jimmy Johnson draft chart? Well, if it's first of all, you're not accounting for currently any kind of I guess it's a starting point, but it's not a finish point to me because you're not accounting for some sort of bidding war. But also you're not it's position value, it's who's available during that draft. You know, is it is there a great set of quarterbacks that draft? Are there more quarterbacks? And then yeah, is, is the 17th pick to get a quarterback the same as the 17th pick to get a running back or whatever it is. So you can you you're doing your best here with the numbers you have. And obviously it's a it's a great tool. But the position value changes and you don't there's no way to really predict the value of the pick and the position that associates with it. Certainly, certainly. And there's other critiques about it, such as, you know, this was made before the salary, the rookie wage scale was locked in. Mm. And, you know, quarterbacks like Philip Rivers made a lot of money in their first contract, unlike what quarterbacks yeah. make now when they sign. Mm. But what blew my mind was number one, the scope. They only researched this across mm. four years, which there can be a lot mm. of variation in four years. That's a smaller point. The second was his, they were looking at just prior trades. They were looking at the trades that teams had previously assigned mm. uh, or the, the value that teams had given draft picks based on the trades that had previously been made. There was absolutely no consideration given to the actual player performance or output. Uh, okay, gotcha. So in almost 30 years, we've witnessed teams making trades off this chart that was built off of only four years of data with no measurement in place for the actual returns on performance. I mean, we could talk trades all day, you know, like I traded you this, I traded, you traded me this. But if we don't know what we both received for that trade, 
Mm. How can we measure if we've, who, who won, who, who achieved something from it? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really insane. It's like a logical fallacy of the appeal to tradition. Just we're not yeah. actually putting in any performance metrics. We're just doing what we've been doing. Yeah, it feels like what the, what the Vikings and the Bills have had to do with the Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs trade. It's something that they continue to revisit in year one, year, when it happened, year one, year two, because it's like, okay, you know, who won this trade? And really, it just seems about equal, but it seems like we're trying to pivot more towards that now. Like, so. Now I'll let you get into it. Never mind. I had a question. But I think I'll answer it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, if it comes back, or if it looks like if we're going a different direction, just bring me back, and we'll we'll pull it back in. So, learning to reevaluate trades per, per for performance is what my goal was in writing an article that hasn't come out yet. So we're getting our first stab at it now. But this is an article that I'm I'm currently working on and will be posting. My goal was to try to create a measurement for measuring one's return on investment. And to do that, we'd have to establish a baseline that would be you know, considered player value. We'd have to determine the capital associated with each pick, which that's already been done for us, right? With the Jimmy Johnson chart. Mm-hmm. And then we would just divide that value by draft capital. And that would give us a very basic return on investment. What it misses is positional value, like you were talking about, and salary implications. The reason mm-hmm. I miss on positional value is because I just personally, and this is just me, I know there's, I think, Arjun does a way better job with graphs and with all this this trend stuff. He's using sure. a whole other stratosphere. Uh, but I really like drafting purely from a place of BPA. And every draft, different position groups are stronger than others. And I would just prefer the Chargers to pick the best guy with their pick or to look at this data that we're going to go over and decide, no, we should trade down and capture as much extra capital as we can. And then salary implications, that's something I want to work on in the future. Mm-hmm. See, try to create an actual formula that will determine with the rookie wage scale compiled on top of the data I have in place, how much that helps you. Because it actually would start really skewing the data towards everything beyond the second round, especially when you've considered that, I believe in the CBA now, they are guaranteeing the first round picks contracts in their entirety. In the last two years, I don't know if they, yeah. This So somebody told me that, and then I looked it up, fact-checked it. In the last two years, it's been the top 24 picks that have had fully oh. guaranteed contracts. So I don't know if they're easing it in or how that's working, hmm. but it's a little rumor. So if that's the case, I am trading the heck out of the first round and compiling second rounders, third rounders, yeah, no six rounders, like just it, because, you know, there's just a whole lot of added uh, cost if you do miss. Yeah, absolutely. Chargers got Murray at 23, I oh. believe. So, right. We're just jumping right in to Mrs. Tyler. <laughs> well, are there any hits from Telesco? <laughs> no, it's fair, man. No, I'm just, I uh, know. I, I hope that turns around so badly. <laughs> but, okay. So, I, for my, oh, sorry, I skipped ahead here. For my baseline, I, I covered everything except my baseline for value. And that was mm. pro football references, pro, approximate value metric. It's not the, you know, end all be all by any means, but uh, PFR has a good way of just assigning a stat on a guy, you know, and the founder of PFR has a great quote in here. It's football stat lines just don't come close to capturing all the contributions of a player the way they do in baseball and basketball. So without having to go through the whole quote for our listeners, he's basically just saying in a given year, a guy ranked at 14 or 16 might be 
closer than what they might seem or the 14 the guy that got a 14 score might actually beat the 16 but when we compile it from a data analytics standpoint we're very confident that the group of 16 is going to be better than the group of 14 and that's what we're really looking for in stats and data right just trying to smooth out the uh what would you what would you call that like smooth out the outliers and just get kind of the sure. good raw data there yeah. so this is the return expected ROI on the Jimmy Johnson chart. Hmm. The numbers to the left are kind of arbitrary. They just compare against one another. But what this measurement is, is what I was talking about. Taking the AV, the approximate value of every player. And the way I got to this number was I compiled 10 years worth of drafts from 2009 to 2018. Everything before that I thought was a little too recent and wouldn't give us it wouldn't get us out of their first contract, right? Right. So 10 years of drafts, and I stacked that with or compared them next to their Jimmy Johnson draft capital. Mm-hmm. I averaged out the AV for the 10 years, took that average AV and divided it by the draft capital for that spot. So at position one, that was 10 years worth of first overall picks. Mm-hmm. The average AV of that divided by 3000, which is the first number on the Jimmy Johnson chart. When you do that, you see a very strong and steady growth through about 211. Really, you can bring it down probably to, you know, pick 180. Mm -hmm. And then it takes off parabolically in about the end of the fifth, sixth round. And I mean, like, boom, and it looks like it really waits to ramp up until that round but mm-hmm. only because the numbers are so skewed with that parabolic movement in the last couple rounds. Mm-hmm. This is actually the return on investment in the first 96 picks. So as you see, as you move back in the draft, you are going to get a better return measured by the output of you know, PFR's mm-hmm. AV value per what Jimmy Johnson's model is showing us so or is showing it should be valued at. This gets back to they were not measuring on performance. They it honestly mm, looks like mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson had a big, you know, lean favoritism the way a coach would towards the first three or four rounds. Because after you know round five yeah. or six, they just start going to ones <laughs> the whole time, and right. you know you're missing the boat there. Mm. So just to in one more time look at that that stretch that's clearly a positive trend is only the first three rounds you know, Mm. just zoomed in. So once you zoom out and see like, okay, so that's the movement in the first three rounds and that's how much it ramps up and takes off later in the draft kind of blows my mind. So I would always want to be trying to compile. If I were trading down, try to pick up, you know, three, four, five extra picks in those later rounds. Part of the data I gathered, Tyler was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how many hits and misses there are measured Mm -hmm. by players that scored a, career AV of around 10, they consider an average season four. So 10, another, an an actual analyst did this with five as kind of his score. And I thought that was a little too weak. So I upped it to 10. And once you get past that fifth round, it's about a 15% chance that someone's going to have that kind of return, um, just measuring, measuring by hits and misses, not by their actual average. So every draft I would try to get five picks that are after round six 
because there's a good chance at least one of those guys is going to be a guy that breaks through and is a contribute solid contributor on your team. But yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and certainly the Chargers have plenty of picks in that section this year. I just feel like with the, we talked about this last thing, the regime changes. It's like, okay, these rounds five, six, seven guys, they're about to develop. They're almost there. And then we let them go. Cough, Kaiser, White, you know, and stuff like that. See a fourth or fifth rounder. Point is, you know, they're almost there. They've almost developed the return on investment so high and then they're gone. Um, yeah. Can you go just back to maybe that yes, sir. longer? It really, I guess it doesn't really matter. So just for our viewers, just to clarify, and you've already basically said this, but the x-axis is, is draft pick number, right? One, yes. One to two yes. Sorry. Whatever, 257. Um, yeah. And then, what was I going to ask? So you take their average AV, and, and you've taken the average AV over the last 10 years. Yeah. Before, before 2018. So 2008, 2018? 2009 to 2018. 2009, okay. Um, is there any, I don't know if you have this yet, is there any change or graph or correlation or pattern or whatever with how long it takes for a later pick to hit return on investment or maybe an earlier pick to hit return on investment? Let's, let's say like, how long are we waiting? How long are you charting this return on investment? And is, yeah, is there no. any pattern about earlier return on investment for an earlier pick versus later? Or how does that work? That's a great question. Um, I There is a chart for measuring. There's So now for that, it goes from clicking a couple buttons and being able to get a data <laughs> dump <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and individually clicking right. on every name and then tracking their individual years. Right. So that's a great question that I, I would love to try to look into. I don't have an answer for you right now. One thing they do have is a metric for... Uh, value accrued by their original team that drafted them mm. and overall career value. Okay. Maybe that's something that could be used in some yeah. way, shape or form, just somebody that took off later on somewhere else. Mm. But the, but overall right now, no, don't have something for that yet, but I would like to, it sounds, that would be great to look into. And I did, it did cross my mind a couple of times. How can we figure sure. out what the cooking timer is on some of these guys? Right, exactly. And then do you measure, so let's say this player was drafted, if you're wearing someone drafted in 2014 versus 2009, it's just their average over their careers up to this point or up to yes, essentially time frame. So it doesn't, like, yeah, one guy played for 10 years. Okay. Interesting. Yes. So it will have a natural bias towards the picks that were picked like in the late, in the later years. Right. And, or right. sorry, in the earlier years, earlier years yeah. in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be analyzing Telesco next and we're mm. going to have that same thing, okay. but it, it, because it balances itself out, I feel like the data is still pretty strong. It's right. just, you just have to keep that in mind. It's when you're it, mostly when you're analyzing the coaches, because for the coaches, you know, we are going to judge them on how they've done <laughs> but for the actual like draft picks i i i feel like by averaging them out it all kind of washes out but we'll see yeah one more question then on the y-axis yeah. could you re-explain the five pick average after first round yeah oh yes sorry thank you the, i wanted to smooth out the data a little bit and it mm -hmm. still showed the exact same trend but let's say tom brady gets picked at round six i don't sure. want tom brady to just skyrocket the that mm. section super high so what i did was after the first round since the draft capital just became was decreasing at a much uh less rapid rate i and because we wanted to try to smooth out from those significant outliers i just started averaging the 
two picks before and the two picks after with that with that pick. So basically getting mm. 50 picks worth of data surrounding that number. So at pick 30, or sorry, at pick 45, I took the average of the last 10 years of pick 45 and the average of the last pick of 44, 43, 46, Great. 47, just to oh, okay. get, make, cool. just to smoothen out that data so it wasn't so very volatile, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. And it's it showed, like I said, the same trend. It just didn't look as messy or it doesn't look as messy now. It's still a little messy. But <laughs> <laughs> so again, I'm not as strong with the charts as Arjunis. Maybe you could t teach me a thing or two one of these days. But here I just- much ahead of I am, so. <laughs> this, this took so much slamming my head against the desk. It was embarrassing. But so here we just have total AV over- the la over Tom Telesco's career. So now we're just looking at how Tom Telesco has been draft drafting. So down low, we have the total AV. On the y-axis, we have average draft capital, uh, so, sorry, AV divided by draft capital. So that is, again, that measurement, that return on investment. How much approximate value are we getting for each bit of draft capital spent? This is the mean, which was right just under 0 0.05, which again is an arbitrary number off the calculation. The mean was right around 0 0.041 and was about 666, I believe it mm. was, or 680. And the chargers are well below both the total value for what we've drafted and in terms of average, or sorry, approximate value, or basically return on investment calculation. So do you have any I'm going to go into more of the numbers on Tom after this, but anything in particular on this chart? Um, no, on? not in particular. I'm obviously looking at some of the popular names like the Rams. I'm looking at, you know, some of the teams that we, you know, we think approach picks a certain way, but um, uh, what's the range? So this, sorry, this is still 2009 to 2018. Yeah. No. So sorry. This is now I, I then took this. And I should have explained this. My apologies. You're good. Now, I then took this and went from 2001 to 2014 because now we're judging Tom Telesco's career. So we're, we're, I'm giving grades to Tom Telesco. And I didn't do 2013 because he just got in the office, didn't mm -hmm. have a full year of scouting under his belt. And this is where we're going to have a serious bias towards the earlier years because mm -hmm. you know Tom's drafted some great guys the last two years and they're going to really – help boost his numbers down the road. Justin mm. Herbert's going to make up for so many faults, <laughs> oh, so yeah. many misses. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a pretty balanced look when you're just looking at how all the teams have done over the last eight drafts. Mm. And it doesn't look very good for the Chargers in that sense. It, it really no. shows that those first seven drafts or six drafts, we were really struggling. Yeah, Getting to the actual rankings and yeah, you could, if, sorry, if you want to talk about like the chiefs, did they just make a good move by trading, trading away Tyreek Hill? A lot of people were like, Oh, that's a really stupid move on, on for me. I was like, man, he may, he's probably going to have some great years, but at any given point, he's yeah. going to fall off a cliff and that's 30 million a year, man. And right. Have they drafted? Well, they have drafted the best. By mm. this calculation, they were a almost a standard deviation away from everybody in terms of actually factoring in what their return was on the draft capital they spent. Go back and look at their first round picks, and the worst first round pick they've had has been Edwards Alec. 
they've yeah. had so many good players that have come through that, you know, they've either traded away or still have retained. And then you have, yeah, the Cowboys, Ravens, they've done very well at, you know, getting high value, but they also had a good amount of draft capital. So their returns a little bit lower. Rams have had good overall value. Their drafting hasn't been superior, but they've been playing a numbers game and it's worked out for them. Mm-hmm. And they've also traded away those firsts to get other talent. So they've achieved talent through other means with their draft picks, which is how they've been successful. Yeah, but they're no, still drafting well. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. But combining last last time we had our, our your video and your presentation with how the Rams approach comp picks, but they still get and are one of the best at you know this average AV divided by draft capital. So for them to be able to play it both ways like that is it's just fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah, not for us. Not for us. One day. One day we'll get there. So look in here. It is the 2014 to 2021. Just confirming that. So we have ranked 13th in draft capital. We've ranked 27th in approximate value, total value, total approximate value accrued. That is not good. That is ugly. That's with Herbert. Jesus. Yeah. And again, that gets back to Herbert only being here for two years. Still two good years. Great years. A rookie of the year ups ups your... AV score, mm-hmm. but that is still atrocious. 25th Ooh. in return on investment. The Jets were the lowest, Chiefs were the highest. Uh, we were, you know, we're not super far. We're closer to the Jets than we are the Chiefs. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> right. you can look at that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And we're 15th in approximate value. A lot of us like to say that Tom's an okay drafter. He's kind of middling, he's middle of the road. And that makes sense when you take away, you know, the measurement of draft capital, when you're not Mm. factoring in that he's literally benefited from fielding a subpar roster for a few years. And I hate to say that, but the results, the record speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. We're just, the only way we've ever accrued draft capital has been through losing games. We're not trading players away and getting Mm. draft capital. Mm -hmm. We're not winning the comp pick battle. So we're doing well in the draft capital department because our record is suffered. So that's to me a <laughs> major downer on Tom Telesco's draft history so far. With yeah. that added little, you know, carrot that this is going to turn around with Slater and Herbert. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he makes a trend out of it. But yeah. what do you think? Tyler, have you seen like I, I know you guys look at all sorts of different sources of data. How have you felt about Tom drafting in the past and where do you think this puts you now? I I still feel like he's a better than a third of the GMs out there, at least. But I do think I appreciated more how he's done sort of in the Lynn and now Staley era, the McCoy era. That was a, a pretty rough stretch for sure. I've appreciated how he's done things a little bit better recently, especially because he, until Murray, wasn't trading up every single draft for a linebacker or a running back. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, trading in the first round for Murray is a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to say this really changes anything about how I feel about Tom Telesco. It just confirms kind of how I feel about him, which is could be better. Uh, and and yeah. not exactly the best of what he does by any means. Yeah. And I don't mean to like throw Tom under the bus at all. I, I sure. have no issue with Tom. He could yeah. come out tomorrow and say, I've just been drafting for my coaches and it hasn't worked out. Like if he's had a better relationship with his coaches than we've understood, and he's mm-hmm. actually been mm-hmm. listening to them a lot in the war room, then 
that's a that's a different story. If if that means that we're going to have a great relationship with Staley moving forward, it can try to build into something like a Sneed McVay, a Bill Belichick and himself and his dog. Like maybe there's reason for optimism. But so when, but when I say Tom's drafting and judging, you know, Tom Telesco's draft picks, it's really just the Chargers and how we've done sure. in this in this window. But mm-hmm. Tom's the front man, sadly. He's, you know, the one with whom the buck stops. Oh, here's the graph. Good Lord. All right. <laughs> here's this, the chart. Here we this go. Where gets, this is where it gets sad. This is where it gets real sad. So here we have our draft trade-ups that we've done in the past. And this is going out to all you guys special that are wondering whether or not we should trade up. Um <laughs> So let's just refresh Monty Teo, uh, Monty Teo, or how, I forget how you say his name off the top of my head on camera. My, my fault. Manti. It's been Manti Teo. Yeah. He was traded, you know, and, and I've organized it by the trap cap, draft capital that was given up. So we gave up our 45th and our 110th pick to get the 38th. That value was close, 551 total is um, where the value is 551.4 to 520. But then if you looked at the output, we traded away a a total approximate value of 36. And that measurement is coming from their spots on the chart. And then we're going to get into what they, what those players actually earned at next. So uh, a was traded for a, we traded a for we traded to get a 50th, to get the 50th pick. And we traded away the 57th and 125th. That again, kind of close on that draft chart, 377 to 400. The total approximate value was 29.5 that we traded away. So we traded away basically 10 points of approximate value because we only got 19 back from him. And a lot of that probably went to the other teams he played for. With Melvin Gordon, similarly, just to speed through this for everybody, we only or we lost 12 points of approximate value with that trade. With Kenneth Murray, we lost 30, just about, points in approximate value. And that is what we can guesstimate we should receive based on that 10-year average that I created. So those mm-hmm. numbers, again, don't correlate with the actual players yet but those are the averages that you could expect at the time of making the trade. So none of those on paper to me using this metric were decisions that should have been made. Go for it, Tyler. This, oh, this uh, is just go, going, sorry, going into just the go actual back, play. Uh, to the previous, uh, what's yeah. the difference between P1AV and P2AV? Player one AV, player two AV. So, so who was, who was selected at pick, each? Yeah. Pick one okay. and pick two. So this is taking 45, pick 45 is there. Pick 74 is right there. And it's like okay. that for all of them. They made it easy on me by making them all two-player trades or two-pick trades. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. So then getting into the the real shtick of it all. Uh, so with Teo, we got an AV of 20 from him. And granted, that probably went out to the other teams as well or a portion of it. The players that were picked with the picks that we gave away were Kevin Minter and Terrence Williams. They combined for an AV of 57. So we lost an AV of 30 on that. With the Tauchu, we lost 23. Other teams picked Carlos Hyde and Walt 
Aikens. And when I say other teams, the Carlos Hyde pick was actually traded from, I forget if it was the Cardinals that we traded with to the 49ers. A lot of these picks, it's surprising, were actually dealt and traded away, given mm. to other teams. Melvin Gordon shocked me. <laughs> his his AV is 48. And I actually liked Melvin. I was kind of a Melvin defender. I liked him and Eckler as a one-two punch, even if he may have overwhelmed, underwhelmed in his rookie season. I sure. was not as critical as he as of him as many were. Mm-hmm. I think he got a lot of harsh criticism because sometimes he ran into the backs of our offensive linemen. That's true. Um, and because we traded two picks to get him and yeah. he wasn't Todd Gurley. But sure. on this, he actually netted us a positive return on AV. So that's one of those examples of bad process. The approximate values, when you look at them over 10 years, did not add up for that trade. But in this instance, Melvin Gordon was productive. You could say he wasn't the most talented running back in the league, but he was one of the most productive at the time because we just, we, we ran that guy and we had him catching passes and touchdowns. He put up stats. I I had Mm -hmm. him in fantasy, man. He rocked. (laughs) Uh, And Blake Bell underwhelmed. He really underperformed his positional value. And then lastly, Kenneth Murray with the typo, courtesy of me. Sorry about that, team. He has gained an AV of 10. Duggar has gotten nine. Justin Madu, we'll call him, has gotten eight. So we're at a negative seven so far with the Kyle or with the Kenneth Murray trade. So that's 51 points total that we've lost in approximate value from our trade-ups. Yeah, that's that's not great. I, I just for Kind of a reference point. Do you know what a decent, especially from maybe like that earlier, let's say 2014 to 2017 or 18 range, what is a good AV value? It's like AV of 20, AV of 30, AV of 34. You know, I, I know that 30 is more than 20. So AV of yeah. 30 is better than AV of 20. But like what is 100 a thing? Is 200 something? Like So you get, you get, to, you get to 100 and you are like, you're talking about, you know, a, I forget. I forget what Tom Brady's ranked. At. I think, I think Mac uh, is at is over a hundred. Like you're talking about the guys that have been elite. Like they, it's not something you see normally. Okay. Austin Eck, Austin Eckler's a forty-one. Just to okay. give you kind Great. of a basis. That's perfect. Great. Like the amount of production he's had so far has gotten him to a forty-one. And Terrence Williams is a good example because he's somebody that I just remember. He was productive with the Cowboys, for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a bit. Uh, he's a 27 and Carlos Hyde, a 32. He was barely productive for a while. You, They basically average out. They say that four is an average season. Mm. So it, you factor that in like a player that has a 10-year career and just playing average might be a 40. So then, you know, there's variances in there, certainly, but a good player should probably like a hit, a good player that you drafted in the first or second round was often right around like 38 to 45. Okay, great. Good to know. I just wanted to have some sort of measuring stick for where these go. And then I think this isn't obvious. No, but there's, there's no influence on where the person was drafted on AV in this particular situation, right? AV is just, you hit the league. It doesn't matter. Okay. Correct. Just wanted to make sure. Pure numbers. Yep. Pure stats. So tying this into a trade. Oh no, sorry. Tyler, where would (laughs) you want to trade for cross? Like where, or if you had to, I know you don't want to, but where do you, (laughs) where do you think fans and people that listen to the podcast want to trade for him? Well, that's very different. Fans of the podcast, (laughs) people are like, is six early enough or should we go earlier or later? I'm like, (laughs) 
about that. Uh, so six has been brought up a lot. I don't know if that's the Panthers or the Giants. It's one of those two teams, I think. Uh, me personally, if I'm looking, so if I just, I got through this out today. If I want to go get Stingley and I had to, you got to jump the Ravens and the Eagles and the Saints. So I said 13 to Houston. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. What was interesting about that chart is I think the reason why Melvin Gordon was the only one that did so well is because mm -hmm. a, he outperformed his position mm -hmm. and B we only, tr we only moved two spots up and gave away right. one lower pick. So right. the more picks you stack, the greater the losses hands mm. down. So I used 10, 11 and 12 as our kind of basis points, because I think that's where people would start to say, we're falling, we're falling, we're falling. Like, or he's falling, he's falling, he's falling. Can we right. get him? So I just threw up there to start our pick at 17 is worth 950 points mm -hmm. and has an AV as I've measured it of 38.5 picks and then just to give ref reference to like how it, that av number doesn't quite move except you know pick 19 we've got a little bit more dramatic that had some busts in it but yeah. 37.2 34 38.6 38.5 28.10 picks 15 through 19 so yeah. as you can see right there it kind of shows you there's not a huge incentive to trade up just those couple picks even right there. Pick 10. Again, our pick is worth 950 points. Pick 10 is worth 1300 points. That can be, that on my chart has an AV of 38. So there's historically no reason to move up from pick 17 to 10 in a sense. You then use the chart, uh, use Jimmy Johnson's chart to measure out, you know, kind of an arbitrary amount of picks to get us to a number that would seem close and i'm even giving the benefit of the doubt normally if you're the one trading up you have to overpay but i got us to around 12 to, or 1200 you know 1261 that was trading away this year's first and this year's i believe that's fourth i have that written down but picks 17 and 123 and we and then next year's 48 and 79 now those are rounds two and three when mm -hmm. calculating the draft capital, they say that you need to move back around for future years. So that's right. what I did in picks for all these trades for picks in the first through three first first round through the third round. I moved it back thirty two picks. Picks beyond that, I moved it back forty to account for comp picks as well. Uh, that brought our draft capital to twelve sixty one. Mm. We lost AV when I stacked the numbers and added them up. 51.8. That's not against the 38 that we would gain from picking him up, but okay. we lost 51.8 in AV and the picks we gave away in year two, we lost 37.6. Now I do factor in the 38 that we gained. The total loss in AV can be predicted to be around 51.4 hmm. significant going to, okay. I've heard what if we trade this year's first in next year's first, which Sounds good until it's next year. I already, I love Max so much, but I'm already like, oh man, a second exactly. would be so cool. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. And next mm -hmm. year, that would, that would just hurt so bad to not have a first for the sole purpose of trading it down or trading away for a proven player. That's what I would much rather we did with them. Right. But that gives us actually an overage in draft capital, which makes a little bit more sense. That from a straight up Jimmy Johnson chart model 
this would be much more attractive to another team and much more likely to happen. But for mm. us, we would lose 38.5 in eight in approximate value this year, 38.5 next year. You do have to factor in that we would be, you know, we wouldn't be losing that 38.5 starting this year. We would, you know, have a little bit of gain from that, but still in over the grand scheme of things, we'd lose a total AV of 39. So what's interesting there too, we gave away more draft capital, but because we kept it in the first round with our trades, where you have mm. the, the worst return on your AV, we actually had a smaller loss than in, in uh, this first trade example. Yeah. Going to 11, we see something similar with 1,250 points and an AV of 39.6. I packaged together the package you see there, picks 17, 79, 123, and 160. We lost still with the total amount of AV there. We lost a cumulative um, 23.3. If we do move up to pick 12 with 1,200 points, I packaged together a trade of this year's 17th, 79th, 160, and 195th. And that got us close. We're at a draft capital value of 1,182.6. Total approximate value lost is 33.6. So I just have trouble, Tyler, in any scenario <laughs> yeah. justifying it because you're literally throwing away value. Yeah, I think this is a great way to even just quantify the value of depth. You know, I think that just seeing the AV loss because you just don't have your fifth rounder, your sixth rounder, these guys that contribute to your roster, it's so important to, to have those. And if you're looking at, you know, the AV at 17 versus 10, 11, and 12, I don't know if there's a statistical significance difference between, you know, 38.5 and 39.6, looking at all 32 picks. But gun to my head, if you said, hey, do you want to give up four picks to go from 38.5 to 39.6? I go, no, not really. <laughs> You'd have to show me a graph that would like really show something significant. But gun yeah. to my head, that doesn't look like you know anything advantageous. Um, so AV lost, you're losing AV because of your you you don't have, let's say, pick 79, 123, 160. Is that so I would expect to lose more AV because I'm losing players who just don't generate the AV, right? Yeah. You're essentially when you're looking at that return on investment that we were talking about, and, and that's mm -hmm. why when we traded a first and a, our two firsts, we had one of the lower AV loss, or at least for that, for pick 10, we had the lower AV lost. The essentially, that's where the return on investment is the worst. Mm -hmm. And when you're packaging these third and fourth and fifth round picks, those players still hit and they cost fractions of what first round picks cost in this trade formula that these teams use. So the more you dip into the third, fourth, fifth, even the sixth and seventh rounds, when they're not really moving the tide that much, mm -hmm. and you're seeing it here, Tyler, in the trades that we went over, they weren't even obsessing over, you know, adding in a couple extra fifths or sixths or sevenths just to balance the formula out. They're like, okay, we're close enough. Let's just go ahead and trade. But that's where the guys really take off given how cheaply those draft picks are viewed. So personally, if like, like we were saying before, I think the next step is trying to figure out some sort of measurement where if, you know, 15% of the guys in round six and seven, you know, take off. So you can kind of guess like, okay, one in five or six, if I could stack six picks between 
round six and seven. And if the measurement is more like 30 or 40%, it's one and three. Okay, well, I want to pack pack in five picks from three and four and five. Whatever that is, like finding out that sweet spot of how many draft picks it takes to get yourself a you know, solid four or five contributors, because that's how you measure, I think, an amazing draft. If you, Having a draft where you have two or three guys that really step up and make a big impact on your team is great. If you can get four or five, that's incredible. And if you can do it without trading up or actually with by trading back and like just gaining all these extra picks and not having to give anything up to do it, it's, you know, there's a formula out there for it. Bunch of smart minds can put their heads together and we can all figure it out, but we'll just keep on working on it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. This, is, this has been awesome. I don't know how much more you have left, but I'm sure there's, oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's get back to the early 2000s when we were the cool kids trading down. It was like, what, 2001 and 2004, and both those trades set us up for, you know, the greatest Charger fandom years of our lives until, until Herbert. But yeah, yeah, that's that is the rest of the presentation, Tyler. Just hopeful wishes that maybe Tom does it this year and takes us all by surprise. So what I'm gathering is you really want us to trade up to six. I did everything. Just <laughs> just all of it. Push the chips in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm very skeptical that they would do it. I think the Chargers are past the point where they would trade up maybe like one spot maybe two spots but i just don't see them doing this with the staley era but staley has also been has shown aggressive patterns the last couple Mm -hmm. of years certainly this past year whether or not that translates to draft and the draft day trades i don't know i'm hoping it's a trade down i'm totally fine if they stay put but i'm i'm not really looking for a trade up so Kyle, thank you for, for showing that. And obviously everybody who watched the previous video, I'm sure would like this one just as much. Um, what are you up to now? I know we sort of have another topic, potential thing in the works, but what are you up to with the bolt bolts from the blue yeah. fan community, right? How's that yes. going? What are you up it's to? Going, oh, it's going great, man. So this is the actual article I've been writing. Um, it's taken me a while that I haven't gotten something out recently because that was a lot of data to compile and I am not a statistician. Yeah. So and like I said, I had to learn a bunch of charts and whatnot, but they, uh, right now I, what we can talk about another for a future time, a recent article I put out was evaluating the chargers defense and specifically how Staley utilized it last year and why I'm not as concerned with our defensive line and our linebackers with our run defense and where I think we actually can improve moving forward. Interesting. Did a lot of still a lot of tape work and a lot of did a lot of tape work on the Raiders game, Tyler. And there's a couple patterns that are very obvious and very apparent and gives us huh. a lot of opportunity. Fun. Well, God bless you for going back and watching that Raiders game again. I certainly couldn't go back and watch that myself. <laughs> okay, so if I don't have you between now and Thursday, next Thursday, I don't get to talk to you between now and then. What do you think is going to happen with the 17th overall pick? First of all, do they move at all? And second of all, if they stay or whoever, wherever they draft, who do you think it is? Oh, man, I think Devontae Wyatt is the mm-hmm. most Staley-esque pick in my mind because he looks like he could be like the close thing to an Aaron Donald type. Mm. I think that's the most likely, personally. I, as I said to you um, off camera, 
I am a staunch believer that if there's one player that's going to fall, it's Kyle Hamilton. And if he does fall, he would absolutely make the most sense for our scheme out of any player in the draft in round one. So that's, that is how I feel. I'm like, you heard it here, mark it, timestamp it, whatever. Kyle Hamilton falls and we grab him. That's my hope. Yeah. So if you hit like enough time, guys, it'll happen. If you don't, it's actually your fault if they don't get Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Again, if, if they trade up, I'll certainly be messaging you. Be like, ah. They didn't watch our video. They didn't watch your presentation. It's darn it all. I got to send it to them. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and all that sort of stuff. Make sure to follow Kyle at Bolt Breaker Box on Twitter. Um, I believe you're getting better at it, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, better at the Twitter. He's not. He's never mind. He's not better at the Twitter. He's, he's, he's per source, he's, he's not better at the Twitter. Uh, anyway, that's it for us today, guys. Take care. And as always, Bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.